So at the turn of the 19th century, there was a, a, a woman in uh, England. She was an elderly lady living alone, and uh, the power company uh, was, was beginning to run uh, power lines through her area. And they, they knocked on her door, and they said, ma'am, hey, you have this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Uh, we've got power lines coming through. Is that something that you would want to take advantage of? And she said, I, you know, I'm going to have to ponder that for a few days. And so she took some time, thought about it. Uh, eventually, they come back by and she says, hey, we would, I'm going to take advantage of it. Um, and so they sign the agreement and they make sure that she gets everything uh, run to her house. And uh, she's excited about that. And the power company uh, hooks her up and she has everything that she needs. Uh, about a month later, uh, they send a, a person to the house just to check on everything. But he's a little bit perplexed and confused. Um, he's kind of wondering if maybe something has, has malfunctioned and not going correctly. Uh, but yet they've not heard from her in any way. And so they knock on our door and they just say, excuse me, ma'am, is this power that we've given to you, your house, is it, is it functioning correctly? Is it working? She says, oh dear, I love it. It's been wonderful. And uh, he goes, well, I'm a little bit perplexed. Like it doesn't appear that you're using any power. And she said, oh yeah, I use power every single night. She says, I turn on the lights just long enough to light all my candles and then I turn it right back off. <laughs> and, and the reality is, I think that is exactly how a lot of us live. Um, I think that in many ways we would say, I know that the, the power of God exists, but there's a lot of us who would say, well, we just don't know how to live in the power of God or we don't know how to walk in his spirit. But Paul is going to really answer that question even today as he kind of has moved past the greeting um, and the salutation to uh, Rome and this group of people he's writing to. He gets right into the middle of why um, he is not only writing, but he longs to see them. Now, we know that Paul um, ha is writing to this church about 20 years now into his ministry uh, in Rome. We know that he desires to be there, but we also know from last week that he's been prohibited because of God. He has not been able to go. But though there's a question in Rome about whether he, his motive is right or maybe he doesn't want to come because he's afraid of Rome's power, he writes a phrase here that is not only very matter-of-fact and direct as to what he means and why he desires to be there, but I would also say that as we dive into Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, that these words may be um, some of the most impactful words in all of history. There would be some commentators and some even pastors would say that these words are the most profound in all of your Bible. Now, when we first read them, it's very difficult to understand this, but here's the, day, uh, the deal. Today's message really could be entitled God's Verdict. The reality is, is that you're going to see what God says about his power and about his character and about salvation and about how he makes it known to the world. And it really is his verdict. It is about how he uh, relates to us. And as Paul dives in, uh, in Romans chapter 1, in verse 16 and 17, he says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Verse 17 says, For in it is the righteousness of God. It is revealed from faith for faith, as is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Two verses, but yet in these verses, you see God's verdict for all of mankind. 
And so as we dive into it, I pray real quickly that the power of God would just speak to us and that God would reveal something to us. And so let's pray on both campuses and those joining us online that God would speak to our hearts. Father in heaven, Lord, we know nothing of you unless you make yourself known to us. God, I am not intelligent enough, nor am I um, a man of faith enough to understand or comprehend or relate to you unless you relate to me first. And so, Father, I pray that you would reveal yourself, that God, that you would make known to us the mystery of God, that, Lord, that you would herald yourself to us and that we would have receptive hearts, that we would be willing to listen and respond in faith to you. And Father, I pray that today, that Lord, that people would be moved, not by, my, by me or by anything I say, but Lord, by everything you are. And so Father, I pray that we would heed these words and that we would be moved by them. In Jesus' name, amen. When Paul says in verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, he is the man who can proclaim these words because of his experiences. Uh, we know that Paul was a Pharisee, a Benjamite. We know uh, that from week one of this message series a couple of weeks ago that he is a, a zealous Jew. We know that he had done everything by the law that he could possibly do. But yet we also know that even though he was a harsh persecutor of the church, in Acts chapter 9, he met Jesus on the road to Damascus and had an experience with him that changed the way he saw and thought about God. Namely, he knew that it was Jesus Christ that was the Messiah and was the very one that he was an opponent of personally too. And so after his conversion, Paul made it his mission in life to begin to make the gospel known to other people. His really audience mainly was going to be the Gentile people and he would go and he would make himself known. And we see in Acts, um, the, the multitude of places he went, the missionary journeys that he had, the three in which we know for sure he had. But in Acts chapter 14, we see in his first experience, the area of Galatia, uh, that he was stoned in Lystra because of his um, proclamation of the gospel, drug out of the city and left for dead. They thought he was in Acts chapter 14, only to pick up his stuff and move on to Philippi, where he would be beaten and imprisoned uh, with Silas there. Uh, he would continue to, to go on from Philippi to the place of Thessalonica, where he would be run out of the city by a mob of people. Uh, he would be smuggled out of Berea in Acts chapter 17 after he left um, Thessalonica. He would go from Berea then to Athens where he would stand in front of a group of people and he would proclaim to them that you have all of these different gods in Athens, but you have this one unknown God. What is it for? And then he would proclaim to them that there was only one true God. There was only one Father, only one Son, only one Spirit, one triune God that you should worship. And he was mocked there in Athens, laughed at. He says, uh, that he would leave there and we know that he would make a commotion and he would stir up many place, people in Ephesus. And though there would be many people come to believe there, there were also many people that jeered at him and mocked them. He would later head to Jerusalem, although he was discouraged from doing so, it would be at Jerusalem and he would face his harshest persecution. From Jerusalem, he would be arrested. Eventually, he would be transferred. As you get to the, uh, the end of the book of Acts, he would be transferred to Rome. He would board a ship, chained to a, a commanding officer who would 
would see that he makes it to Rome. Eventually he makes it to Rome, and though under house arrest, he would continue to proclaim the gospel to people. But when he says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, this is a guy who can truly say that. And the reason he can say that, and the reason he does, after his greeting and salutation, make such a direct statement like he does, is because he wants to make sure that people in Rome know, I am not fearful of coming there. Now, Rome, just to understand what the city is, is uh, the epicenter of the world. It is an empire that exemplified power. It exemplified uh, the essence of, of really humanity. And when you think about the essence of humanity, you would oftentimes go back even to the foundations of Genesis, where you would have uh, people build a, a tower at, uh, to God, to the skies, and say, we're going to make a name for ourselves, only for God to say, you're not going to make a name for yourselves. And, and he scatters the people because he goes, you are foolish, and that's where we would get the idea of the Tower of Babel. But here it is, Rome, a, a city built to, to the heavens, making a name for themselves. They are the epicenter of emperor worship. Every conceivable idol that you would have in a city, they have. Um, they have intellectual arrogance. They are astute. They are wealthy. They are warlike. There is no one that compares on the planet to this group of people. They are literally the greatest city in the world. And Paul says, bring it on. And the reason he says bring it on is because of what he goes on to say in verse 16. He goes, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And then he says, for it is the power of God for salvation. And what he does there is he makes his declaration to them. He goes, it is, it is God that you're dealing with. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. But what he does there is he uses the present tense verb when he says, for it is the power of salvation. He's talking about in the present. What he's not saying is, hey, uh, salvation is something that we look back on and go, you know what? I remember that day where God really showed himself and there was power in my salvation X amount of years ago. What he's also not saying is, is hey, the power of God is yet to be revealed. And one of these days you're going to get the power of God. And I think oftentimes we live in kind of the land of in-between. We look back and we go, you remember that time that God really met me in this particular place and it was a powerful moment and maybe you would attribute it to your salvation or, or maybe you would see it as a, a particular place, a setting, a camp, and you'd go, man, I remember then. Or maybe you're like, you know what, I'm looking for something, a future manifestation. Like maybe there's more that the Spirit hasn't given me that I long to have. But what Paul says is this, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation. And he uses a present tense verb there, meaning it is active now. The salvation in which you receive from God or I receive from God is an active participant in our life at all times. We are always living out the power of God for salvation. And why that's important is because it is that power of God that allows Paul to go to a place and be ready to experience even more hardship or more pain for the sake of the gospel. Because he realizes it is the power of God that sustains and allows him to do anything at all. And when he says that, it's really good news because he says it's, it's to everyone who believes, the Jew first and also to the Greek. And so you see the heart of his letter. The heart of his letter is that the gospel is the power of God for salvation to anyone who believes. 
which is why he writes something similar to the church of Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Look at verse 17 and 18. If you have your Bibles, you want to turn there, I'll give you like 10 seconds to get there. Um, If not, I'll put it for you up on the screen. You can make a note of it and you can go back. It'll also be in the sermon notes tomorrow uh, on Monday. And if you don't get the sermon notes and you want to, you can make a little note right there uh, on a piece of paper or whatever, stonepointchurch.com forward slash news. And you can go sign up for that. It'll be in your inbox tomorrow afternoon. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 17, 18 says, For Christ did not send me, Paul is saying this, uh, to the church of Corinth, to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be empty of its power. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. A very similar sentiment. What he's saying is, he goes, uh, when I came, he goes, it's not that Christ is, is calling me to baptize. It's not about who I baptize or it's about me preaching the gospel. And then what's incredible is he says, and it's not about eloquent wisdom. It's not about illustrations or um, incredible poems or any other thing that would captivate your attention, which oftentimes I think the pastor feels pressure to have. It's not about three significant points or some Twitter um, type phrase that you would catch on to. He goes, it is literally the gospel, lest the cross of Christ be emptied. And then he says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. Meaning, the only way that anyone understands the power of God for salvation is if God reveals it. Everything else is foolish to those who don't believe. Meaning, the only way that you and I can discern anything from God is His Spirit. And it is His Spirit actually drawing us unto Himself that allows us to see Him clearly. And so when, I, when you think about this, that the power of God is, is working and manifesting himself in us, we need to realize that you and I can't see it unless God allows us to see it. And really that's the essence of salvation. And so when Paul goes to Rome and he said, this is the power of God for salvation, both to the Jew and to the Greek, what he's saying is, he goes, this is the mystery that I am heralding to you. I am proclaiming to you with great power what God can do. And Paul's mission is to go and not empty the cross of its power. Basically what he's saying is, I got nothing for you outside of the cross in Jesus Christ, which is really even my hope and my proclamation and my prayer, even for this time together, like Lord, empty me of anything I'm not worthy to be on this particular stage and this setting, even proclaiming the word of God. Lord, I don't measure up, but Lord, would you be, would you just be you and would you use your words for your purposes and for your glory and for the good of those who hear it? That's really what Paul is saying. I kind of liken it to this glove in the back of my pocket. Um, I I brought this glove along. I made sure that I grabbed one that looked like I had worked a little bit. It took a long time to get this illustration. I was rubbing in the dirt yesterday forever. Um, but when you look at this glove, I mean, you, you look at it and it is powerless on its own, right? I mean, it's just floppy. It sits here on my Bible. It does nothing. Unless what? Unless there's a hand that actually moves into the glove. And when you have a hand that moves into this glove, then the glove is no longer devoid of power. It actually is useful for something. 
And the reality is, is if, if you only use a little portion of the glove, then it's not helpful. But when, when all of the glove is filled with the human hand, the glove is able to be used and is useful. It's a tool. It's, it's literally just a vessel. It's a useful object. But what I want you to realize is this. When Paul says it is the power of God for salvation to those who believe, what he's saying is, is he says the only way that you and I can experience such a great salvation or the power or the work of God is if he fills every part of you. It is literally the need that we have in our human lives is less of us and more of God which is really what Paul's declaration and prayer is. And you see that throughout the book of Romans. In Romans chapter 7, verse 18, he's going to say, for I know there is nothing good in me that is in my flesh. He knows that there is nothing good about him unless God fills him completely. And that really is his prayer. That's what he's also sharing to the to this, this audience in Rome, he's going, look, the power of Rome doesn't scare me because I'm not ashamed of the gospel because I know where real power comes from. And when he says that, I think he, he really puts on the meaning of, of Leon Morris when Leon Morris says this about this particular text. He says, the gospel is not advice to people suggesting that they lift themselves up. It is power. It lifts them up. Paul does not say that the gospel brings power, but that it is power in the present tense and God's power at that. So the gospel, our salvation is not something that we just long for like, oh, hey, maybe Lord, you'll show up one day like the power company and give me something. But that power is manifested in salvation in which God has heralded and proclaimed and given. It is God's verdict to sinful men. It is God's proclamation to you and I as humans, marred by sin, marred by mistakes. It is his proclamation that you and I can have good news. Now, here's the deal. Why is salvation good news? And listen, we have been taught and instructed all our lives that salvation is good news because it keeps you from having to go to a place called hell. Like that's what we teach our kids. I can remember uh, sitting with many people over the years in student ministry, kids ministry. And, and I can even remember um, a particular parent going, you know what, my kid finally did it. Like, what do you mean finally did it? Well, he finally did it. He walked the aisle and he got baptized and he, he was so courageous. I'm like, hold, hold on, I think we're missing it here. Courageous of what? Well, he, I mean, isn't it fantastic? I mean, he's, he's not going to hell anymore. He's going to heaven. And listen, that right there is devoid of any power. It is, a, it is, a, it is a, a, a mindless decision to do something in order to what? To make granny feel good? To make us feel better about ourselves? But the reality is there is no power of salvation in that decision. See, the, the power of salvation as it works in our life is not about walking an aisle or us getting enough courage. It is about us having our eyes enlightened to the mystery of God in our lives, that we as wretched, sinful people would know that there is a God in heaven who loves us and he sent his son for us so that we might receive good news. The power of God for salvation is not about a heavenly dwelling place. It's not about you and I going to heaven. That's not the goal. If that is the goal, then we could have already accomplished our goal and gone on and done something else because we, 
made a decision. But the power of God is good news for four different reasons. And the very first reason that it's good is because the, the good news of the power of God's salvation is helpful for the people that it serves. Think about it. What does he say? It is the power of salvation to those who believe. And then he says to the Jews, and then what? Also to the Greek. He would also say uh, in Galatians chapter 3 that it's for male and female, slave, free. It's for anyone who can believe. The reality is, is that anyone who realizes the depravity of their sin and is, is privy to the proclamation and the heralding of God's good news, the mystery, can actually come to faith in Christ. It serves a wide range of people. You can be a Muslim today and a devout follower of Christ tomorrow. You can be a Buddhist today and you can come to know Jesus this afternoon. You can be a good-hearted American, although I'm not sure a good-hearted American exists because the Bible tells us we don't have anything good in us, but you can be a Christ follower later today. It is, it is the power of salvation that's good news for the people it serves. But the, namely, the reason why it's good news is because of the power it shows. So when here, here it says it is the power of salvation, the word there in the Greek that Paul uses, the word dunamis, which literally means dynamite. Uh, y'all remember the Looney Tunes? TNT, explosions. Yeah, you remember that? Um, that's the idea. But it's not the idea of power of blowing things up, but the power of actually restoring and putting things together. It is the power of God that brings about salvation, not destruction, but actual hope. And so it serves a large number of people. It shows great power, but it also solves an incredible problem. What is the problem that salvation really solves? The problem is the way that God righteously acts in saving sinful people. See, it is his verdict. It is God declaring about who he is and about how he can accomplish his ways. It is the way in which God loves sinful people. Have you ever thought about that? This incredible truth that God proclaims about himself, the power of salvation to those who believe. Incredibly good news. Why? Because of the pardon it secures. See, the reality is, is that salvation is simply about God making a verdict. It is about God proclaiming something over you that you and I necessarily can't proclaim over ourselves. It's not about us saying a particular prayer or the right words. It is in many ways about God revealing his righteousness in us, which is why Paul goes on and says, after the power of God working in us, this in verse 17, look what he says. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith as is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Now here's the key righteousness being revealed. And then the question is, is how? From faith for faith. Now the word here revealed is the word uh, apocalypto, which is the idea of uh, apo and, and calypto, which would be uh, from revealing. So it in some ways would be like a bed cover. Uh, you have a cover that's over your bed. How do, you, how do you see what's under the bed? You would unveil it, right? You would pull back the curtain. Um, you think about the Wizard of Oz, and you remember the great land of Oz, and you had Oz. How, when did you figure out what was behind the, the, the curtain? 
right? You, you drew it back. When, when you see these words here, Paul is saying, for it is the righteousness of God that is revealed. It is God making himself known is what he says. It is God unveiling or pulling back the cover. What you couldn't see, now you can see. And the question is, is how does that even happen? From faith, for faith. Huh? Yes, it is about you and I understanding the power of God for salvation that is freely made available to all who would believe Jews, Greek, Gentiles, barbaric, slave, free, male or female, doesn't matter. All of it's made available by the righteousness of God that is revealed by him to us. And the crazy thing is, is that all of it happens by faith. That's always been how God's worked. Now, the reason I share this with you and the reason that God's verdict might be the greatest thought ever conceived is because that's not how you and I are wired. We're not wired to believe that God reveals things to us. We're wired to believe that one of these days we get it together and we turn to God and we follow him devoutly. We think, hey, one day I'm gonna get my stuff together. Hey, one day I'm gonna go through region and when I finally get there and I get everything together then I'll follow God more completely. And a lot of us in here, the stumbling block for us of being all, all in, sold out to God, being able to say, um, the very same way, uh, same words that Paul said in verse 16, that I'm not ashamed of the gospel. The very thing that you think stands in your way is your lack of belief or your lack of faith. Well, what I want you to realize is this. It is faith that works out anything in us. That was the dilemma that the Jew had. The Jew thought, well, how do I come to faith in God? And what, you, what was their answer? Their solution was, I keep a bunch of laws. I keep rules. I, I, do, I do the Ten Commandments. And, and oftentimes that's what even as parents we want for our kids. We want you to be good citizens. We want you to be law-abiding. Uh, we want you to, to sit over there and be quiet. We don't want you to argue in the car. Uh, we get kind of tired of that, don't we, parents? Can I get an amen or two? Amen, yeah. Um, like, hey, would you stop touching your brother? Hey, would you quit looking at your sister like that? I mean, it's just over and over and over. And sometimes we just wanted them to go, hey, can you just get together? Could you just get it together for a few moments? Can we just have five minutes of silence where you just act and then you catch yourself in this moral dilemma of us being something that we actually can't be? Our hearts are darkened. We're sinful. We're wretched. We are powerless to change anything in our lives. And because of that lack of power in our lives, unless God reveals himself and pulls back the covers and shows us more about the righteousness of God, then we are actually caught in a snare. Very similar to what Paul says to the church in Galatia. Now remember, Paul was a Judaizer. He was of the tribe of Benjamin. He was devout in keeping everything. He harshly persecuted Christians that were of the Messiah. But look what he says after he comes to faith in Christ. Look what he says about the law. Look what he says about rule following. Galatians 3, verse 23 through 26. He says, Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law. Huh? Yeah, he goes, before faith came, he goes, we were trying to do a bunch of things, right? Trying to earn God's approval, keep rules. Imprisoned until the coming faith would be, what's the key word there? Revealed. The mystery was hidden. We were tied to the law. We did a bunch of rituals and rules. Verse 24, so then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. 
which meant until Christ came, the law was a curse, but we could still we could still have as our garden. We could still have a relation with God, but how was it? It was through faith. Hebrews 11. How did Abraham have righteousness credited to his account? His, his righteousness came by faith. How did Rahab, the one who houses spies in Joshua chapter 2, how did she come to faith in God? It was by her faith. How did Moses have, have a relation with God? It was by faith. Noah, what, did, he get, did he get a relation with God because he built a boat? No, it was because of his faith. And so Paul makes it very clear. We are cursed under the law, but it's by faith that we have the righteousness of God being revealed. It's what we're justified by faith. But he goes on in verse 25. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. So what he says now is that, yes, you once had the law, and it, it kept you from seeing clearly, and it imprisoned you. And, and yes, by faith, you could have a relationship with God, but now you don't have the law because you now have Christ, the one who's been revealed. He has been made known. What do you do with him? And he says, it is by the righteousness of God that you and I will have faith revealed. Now, when you think about the righteousness of God, the question is, what does that even mean? It's by the righteousness of God that you and I can even have a relationship with him, well, what is his righteousness? Well, I would say it's namely three things. One, it's the character of God. So can God be loving and just at the same time? Yes. Can God do something or allow something in your life that you don't agree with and still be perfectly right? The answer is yes. Yeah, he can. Why? Because he's God. And even if you don't understand or agree with it, the reality is this God can't do anything that's outside of his character which everything that God does of his character is godlike, is good, and it's perfect. And so God is loving and he's just, and he's also faithful. It is also this God who can declare anyone righteous at any point. He is the very one that because of his character and because of his godlike nature, he's all-knowing, all-powerful, everywhere, he can do what he wants. He can bestow on someone the righteousness of himself, even though they're not righteous. That's the idea here. Because righteousness of God is literally the activity of God in all things. He is active. He is moving. And even as he's doing that, he can intervene on the behalf of any person he would like, or he could choose not to, if he'd like. And the reality is, is because he knows all things, his character, his personhood, and all the ways he acts, and even those that he would declare just, is all a provision of God, and it's all up to him. Which namely means that if he wanted to call people um, to himself, like that of Israel, he could do so. And if he wanted to leave the Philistines behind, he could do so. And if he wanted to destroy the Amorites or the Hittites or anyone else, he is perfectly just in doing so. Why? Because he has a mind in which we cannot conceive. Yet it is the same God who can do any of those things, the very one who also can give us the verdict of declaring who is righteous and who is not. And how does he do it? By faith. And what he does here, Paul, he quotes, the righteous shall live by faith. He goes to old prophet Habakkuk in chapter 2 as he's talking about Babylon there. And he basically just, namely, just picks one out and he goes, everyone needs the gospel and it is those who live by faith who understand and faith is being revealed to. And it all comes from the righteousness of God. Now here's the deal. I'm going to wrap up with this and I want you to lean in because it's very important you get this. 
As he says this, you got to ask yourself, who is he talking to? He's not talking to a group of Americans here. Although we can use this and certainly can be applicable to us. But who is he talking to? He's writing to a, a group of people in Rome and he's saying, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it's the power of God for salvation to all who believe, first the Jews and then the Greeks. And then he goes on and he, he tells us that it is the righteousness of God that reveals all these things. And as he writes, he's writing to a group of Romans mixed in with a bunch of Grecians, mixed in with a, a bunch of other Gentiles. And really, here's what he's doing. He's, he's writing to some conservatives, some liberals, some philosophers, and some um, aristocrats who would say that they were powerful. And so let's just talk about this real quickly. Who are the liberals? The liberals were the Gentiles. It would have been you and me in this setting. It would have been people who we had it all together. And we look at the power of God and the gospel and all that Paul's saying. He goes, man, that's too restrictive. I don't want, I don't want all that stuff. I don't, I don't really want God you know, being the Lord of my life. Like that's, I mean, no, like we've got all these other gods. Like why do, why do we need that? You've also got the conservative, which would have been the Jew in this particular context. They, walk, they, they watch, they're going, wait a second. This doesn't make sense. We have the law and you're talking about being justified by faith through something else, Jesus Christ, namely the Messiah. We don't believe in the Messiah. He's not that. He's a blasphemer. At the same time, it's in the heart of Rome and Rome is going, huh, y'all are, y'all are foolish. Y'all believe this stuff? Like, are, you, are you serious? And they go, we're not giving into that. that. That would make us powerless. We would be weak. We're not weak. Your Jesus was weak. Matter of fact, you got historians that would pass around literature and they would have uh, a cross and they would have a donkey nailed to it because that's what they thought Christianity was. And they go, we're, we're not going to be that. We're not going to be that foolish. And then you have the, the philosophers of the day and, and the Grecians. And, and what did they do? They, they looked on and they go, hey, listen, this is too simple. You're saying that the gospel is just proclaiming that Jesus is the Messiah and believing in your heart and confessing in your mouth that he's the Lord, that, that that's really what the gospel is? That, that doesn't even sound right. It's got to be far, far more than that. There's got to be something mystical about it. There's got to be a higher notice. There's got to be a greater degree of thought. And all of these people, you had power at work. You had pride at work. You had other little gods at work. And you had people at work. And here's what I want you to understand. Listen, the only way any of it makes sense is if God in his sovereignty reveals himself to someone in that moment who was struggling with uh, the teachings of the day and God made himself known. That's how a, a Buddhist that's on the eightfold path and longing for nirvana, that's the only way they, they come to know Christ is he makes himself known. It's the only way that somebody that's studying Confucius and all of his teachings, the only way they can come to know him. It's the only way that someone that is, is into um, all of the teachings of uh, of Indian thought, it's the only way they can come to know him. Or anybody else that's a mystic or anybody that's desiring more, it's the only way is God makes himself known. Listen, can I help you understand the only way that you and I know God is because of the power of salvation in which he declares somebody righteous and he makes a verdict on your account. So it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, really. Think about the gospel for just real quickly. It doesn't make sense. Why? Because there's this dilemma. A sinful man, depraved, struggling as 
some to be philosophers, some to be wrapped up in power, some to be Grecians, some to be Jews, all of them a little bit confused because they're all longing to have their own way. God says, you know what? I'm going to step down and I'm going to do something about it. And so um, you might ask the question, well, how, how does God step down and how, how do you lose power? I mean, because if you're all powerful and you're all knowing and you're righteous, then how in the world are you going to, how are you going to make yourself less than that? He goes, you know what? I'm not going to make myself less, but what I am going to do is I'm going to identify with you and I'm going to send myself in the form of a servant. And I'm going to make myself like you in the sense that I'm going to give I'm going to give you Jesus and he's going to live among you and he's going to identify with you and he's not going to be less than God because he is God, but he is going to, in many ways, identify with you as a servant to understand your dilemma. Okay, but that doesn't necessarily make sense because even though he lives among us and he's still God, then how is he going to identify? Well, he's going to empty himself and he's going to be tempted and he's going to be rejected. He's going to be mocked and he's going to have many moments where he could absolutely cave in. But he's not because he's going to be perfect in every way. And he's going, he's going to love you and he's going to be loved by you if you'll declare who he is. Okay, but that, does, that doesn't solve anything. There's still a dilemma. Yeah, there is a huge dilemma. And the reason why is because you're sinful. I know if I'm sinful, then how, how, if, 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 if I'm sinful and he's living among us, well, there's more. I'm going to put him on a cross, but a cross is for criminals. I know. And my son is going to become a criminal. Well, hold on. What is a second? God, the son, the one who's identified with us, he's going to be the criminal? Yeah, he's going to be the criminal. Hold on. But what about me? I'm the criminal. I should be on the cross. You're exactly right. You should be on the cross, but he's going to take your place. But how's he going to take my place? Because of the righteousness of God. Hold on. Wait a second. That doesn't make sense. Well, the righteousness of God. Well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take all your shame, filth, guilt, all your past mistakes, and I'm going to take them away from you, and I'm going to place them on my son. And I'm going to take all of his righteousness, all of his perfection, all of his holiness, and I'm going to place that on you. Wait a second. You can't do that. Why can't I? I'm God. Oh, wait. Okay. 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 That's making a little more sense. Yes. That's it's an imputation. What I'm going to do is I'm going to transfer my righteousness to you and I'm going to take your guilt and your shame and your filth and I'm going to put it on my son and it's not over. Then I'm going to pour out my wrath, the very wrath that you should receive, I'm going to place on him. And he's going to be beaten, mocked, spit upon, rejected, naked. He's going to be in shame. He's going to be scorned. He's going to be beaten to a pulp. He's going to be hung on a criminal's stead for your sake. And he is going to be the criminal. And all the vengeance and all the wrath of God and all of my righteousness is going to judge him justly so that you might have a path to me. And anyone who would look to him high and lifted up while he's hanging on a sinner's stead and would say these words, I believe that he is the son of God, can be saved. And the righteousness of God can be placed on you. Isn't that fantastic? And he goes, and this is not over. Because you think maybe sin and death and all the agony of defeat has now won. But three days later, not on the first day, not on the second day, but on the third day, he's going to rise from the dead. And the wrath of God, which has been revealed, will actually become the most magnificent verdict that you would ever hear. That the guilty could actually be made righteous. That is the power of God for salvation. And to who? To those by faith from faith believe.
You could be the Noah of your day. And, and you could miss the boat. But by faith in the person of Jesus Christ and not of yourself, you can have eternal life. Friends, we live in a day in which the penalty of sin oftentimes reigns in our life because we think we understand the gospel. Listen, if you understand the gospel, you realize that there is indeed a penalty of your sin. And that penalty of sin only is removed when Christ declares you righteous. And when you have no longer the penalty of sin, it means that you're not ruled by the power of sin. And it means that you don't continue to do things that you've always done because now the power of sin is at work in your life. And if the power of sin is work in your life, then guess what? You don't continue to sin, that grace would increase. Why? Because you've now made, been made righteous. And if you're righteous, then you ought to live as if you're righteous, which is very difficult to do oftentimes without the power of God in our life. But one day the presence of sin is going to be removed, meaning we'll no longer deal with this earth. But until then, what do we do? We press on. We press on. And how do we do that? In your own power, in your own strength? No. By the Spirit of God in our life. We are merely a glove, a vessel, needing to be used. And I pray that the Lord would use us. But friends, He can only use those that He declares as righteous. So maybe today, you go, hey, what is my next step? Like, what, what do I even do? How do I respond? Well, I'm going to give you a chance to respond on both campuses. And here's the response. You've got one or two responses. One response, maybe you would say, you know what? I don't think I understand or have under, ever really understood the gospel. And it's, I've never understood God's verdict. You're meaning to, to, to say that if I believe in him who God sent as his one and only son, to die on a cross in my place. If he takes the righteousness of God and places it on me and takes away my sin, that I can have salvation. Yes, that's what it is. And maybe today you're in your seat and you go, you know what, it's time for me to, to go all in with Jesus. Like it's time for me to follow him. Not because of heaven, but because of his great salvation, the power of God at work within me. In a few moments, you have a chance to do that on both of our campuses and even online. If you would like to, follow Christ, then, hey, we encourage you to do that. We'd love to have a conversation with you. I would say that many of us in this room, maybe our biggest next step is to go, Lord, how do I, how do I allow the power of God to live in my life? And when I think about the power of God, what, I, what I'm not saying is that it would make you uh, some crazy lunatic and madman. It might, but it'd make you faithful. Faithful to do whatever the Lord asks you to do. What's prohibiting that? Maybe it's the philosophy of your day. Maybe it's the pride at work in your life. Maybe you go, you know what? I don't want to be weak. I don't want to be feeble. I don't want to be one of you guys. Maybe it's just a lack of understanding that the power of God really wants to manifest. And maybe you just go, you know what? I'm, I'm kind of protecting portions of the glove. There's just parts of my life that God, you can't have. Maybe there's some of you that you would say, you know what, there's a hidden room. Like there's a room right now in my life that I don't want you to have. My wife doesn't know it exists. My husband doesn't know it exists. My kids don't know that it exists. And God, you're sure not having it because if you get there, you're going to make the whole world know. Maybe it's shame. Maybe it's guilt. Maybe it's fear. But the reality is, is the reason that God's not doing more in your life is because you stand in the way. 
Today's maybe the day to go, you know what, God, I'm yours. Here I am, Lord. As Isaiah said in Isaiah 6, Lord, here I am, Lord, send me. In our response time, maybe you need to follow Jesus for the first time. Or maybe you need to say, Lord, I've been in control of my life. And it's time for me to let go of my pride. Some of you, it's anger. It's a lack of self-control. For some of you, it's bitterness. And it's bitterness against people in this room that you, you know they don't even know that you're bitter towards them. But today's the day. Like just to go and seek their forgiveness. And go, you know what? I, it's time to restore some things. And, and you didn't even know this happened, but this happened. I don't know what it is. But I'm going to tell you this. I desire for God to be at work in my life. And I desire for him to be at work in yours. It is a mystery that he unveiled and made known. And who, in, who are you and I to keep that from being shown to everyone else? You don't see that consistent in the scriptures. And so friends, I implore you, I appeal to you, may God make himself known and may his power be made perfect, even in your weakness. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, as we have a chance to respond, I pray that it would be the dynamite of God in our lives that is shown. Lord, I pray that it wouldn't be for our own, um, our own glory, our own good. I pray that you don't make yourself known so that others are impressed by us. Lord, there is nothing about us that's good apart from you. But Father, I do pray that as we think about salvation, we think about the God-man going to the cross to be in a sinner's stead, the unrighteous made righteous, I pray that that changes our life. I pray that if anyone is in Christ and he is a new creation, I pray that the, the old would clearly be passed away and the new would be, be here and evident. Lord, I pray that we would know that the power of sin doesn't have any place because of Romans 6. The very one who has died to sin has been set free. And I pray that we would know that one day we have the presence of sin fully removed when we have an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled and unfading, that's being kept in heaven for us. Lord, until that day, would you help us to live in you and to live for you? May the glory of God be shown in our lives because of the righteousness of God being revealed to us through the power of your salvation. Thank you for your great verdict. And thank you that in your righteousness and in your sovereignty, you can reveal yourself to whoever you'd like. And I thank you that you chose one of those people to be me. Not because I was worthy, not because I ever did anything that was right or good, but simply because of your kindness and your benevolence. And because of your steadfast love, you called me to be a part of your family. And you've done that with many others. And we thank you. And so Lord, as we sing and we respond, I pray that we would come to an altar and we would just have time with you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.